from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Sunday Live on 91.3 FM Stereo. Sunday Live. Welcome back to Sunday Live here on The Voice of the Cape. The time has gone 23 minutes after 7 this morning. Now, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, we will be focusing this morning on, uh, we're doing a special focus rather on the history of Simonstown. And joining us on the line now is Jolene Young, an independent heritage consultant to unpack this conversation. Now, um, Jolene is a, uh, or has, is a heritage consultant rather with an MA in historical studies, uh, received at UCT for her thesis on the enslaved people of Simonstown. So you're not going to get a better expert in this uh, to discuss uh, the history of Simonstown. Jolene, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Ashraf. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. And uh, just to mention, I, I said to Rachel, I will speak. She asked me to speak about the, um, um, what she called this, the, um, the scandal of what happened after slavery with, with people who were indentured here. Mm-hmm. So I will be speaking about that and also more broadly because after many years of, of research, I'm finally at the writing stage of my book. So there's certain things that I would like to keep for the book. But I will speak on the, the people who were indentured. Certainly. And I think we'll... And I think all of us, we, look for, we, we, we can hear you loud and clear. And I think we, we all look forward to that book. So we'll leave, we'll leave some of the tales for, for, for the book this morning, Jolene, and pick up on the conversation of, 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 of the scandal. So, so give us just very, very briefly for, for the listeners that, that have no knowledge, no background into, into Simonstown, just very quickly the establishment of Simonstown and then let's move into, um, the, the, the scandal thereafter. Absolutely. And, you know, I never saw it as a scandal, but, you know, it's been referred to as a scandal by journalists. So Simonstown is really a place where everyone except the indigenous San and Khoi people came from somewhere else. So there were people who came here as, as, you know, uh, colonial conquerors, we could say. You know, and we had the, the Dutch and British colonial periods and in Simonstown. And of course, then we had people who were enslaved, people who arrived post-slavery, from, mostly from West Africa, who were brought to work for the Navy. And of course, the people we're going to be speaking about now who were loosely referred to as prize Negroes. So they were, you know, Simonstown is such an interesting history. And also, on, you know, my research on slavery showed a huge um, level of crime happening in Simonstown because I did a, a database of, of all the enslaved people I could find in Simonstown. And what was fascinating for myself and for Nigel Worden, who supervised me, was that the studies that were done for Cape Town City showed a much greater um, mixing bowl of people than what we saw in Simonstown. And that is why Islam was so extremely strong in Simonstown. And of course, even up until the time of forced removal, the butchers wouldn't sell certain meats because they didn't want to offend the Muslim community. So I did find very high um, a population of people from South Asia Southeast Asia, particularly during the um, the, the Dutch 
last period, with then about only 10% of people from um, Madagascar and much less from Mozambique. Obviously, that changed over time. But Simonstown is one place where, where there was a very strong component of Islam, which is, we found very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, we also know that, that, that Simonstown was a, a a place for for ships to dock and for people to gather and people to 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 basically stay during the winter months and as a result um let's go into then that 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 history of the cape slave trade particularly then in in, in simonstown um Absolutely. So I can just mention, Patron, what you said, Ashraf, is that at first the, the, the table bay was the place where, where the ships were, were docking. But Simon van der Stel, who himself, in terms of slavery, is such an interesting character because he, his grandmother was an, a former enslaved woman from India, and that was very much hidden from us during apartheid when Simon van der Stel was depicted as, as looking very Eurocentric, where in fact he looked absolutely Asian. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And he suggested to the Dutch East India Company that they, they used Simonstown as a winter anchorage back in 1687 already, but it was only much later that they decided to do that, and it was the cause of all the, around 1743, they decided they would create a winter anchorage in Simonstown, and even then, it, it, the ships were so used to going to Table Bay, so it was also only much later that they all started routing to Simonstown, so definitely that was caused because of all the shipwrecks that happened in Table Bay. And so winter was, was an important economic um, uh, period for, for the Simonstown or Simons Bay area, as they called it then, because of, of uh, the ship's docking and, you know, there would be economic activity as well. Mm-hmm. And so with economic activity, particularly during those early days, we know economic activity was unable to, 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 to take place without the assistance without the forced labor of slaves. And absolutely. Enslaved people, absolutely. The whole economy at the Cape was built on the labor of people who were enslaved. And don't take my word for it. You know, I'm speaking out of colonial documents where um, it was noted that the economy here was built on, on the um, you know, labor people and you must remember that many of the people who were brought here were highly skilled people you know they, they were um, masons they were carpenters um, cabinet makers there were women who were seamstresses who did special needlework so obviously if somebody you own 10 people I mean it's like having a company and you have all these highly skilled people working for you, except that with slavery you are not paying these people. You, you bought them and you owned them and the people who were bought and owned had no say in the matter. So um, people became wealthy off the two things. The one was the ownership of land and the other was the ownership of people who were enslaved, especially the highly skilled. And even the, the people who didn't have skills, you had the free labor on, on farms, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so you became wealthy because of the ownership of, of the, the hard work mm-hmm. of so, the labor. So, so, so tell us then, Jolene, so 
where does the concept of the scandal come in? I found that very interesting, and I looked up what Rachel was speaking about, and what they're speaking about is an indentureship system. So slavery was uh, people enslaved people were supposed to be emancipated in 1834, but a four-year period was added on. It was a, a, a pseudo apprenticeship period, really a smokescreen for. In, you know, for carrying on slavery and, and getting this free labor for an extra four years. But after the, the, the second British occupation of the Cape, there was a very strong anti-slavery sentiment happening in Britain, and there was a lot of pressure for the, the British government to get rid of slavery from the, the abolitionists. So what happened is that Britain created a system where they, it looked as though they were doing something. So they abolished the slave trade, but if you were still enslaved, you continued to be enslaved. But with that, they would then go out and, and have the, the squadrons who would scout the seas, and if they found a British or French uh, slave ship, as they called them, they would impound the people and they would impound their ships. So they you know, helped themselves to the ships, and to the people, and the people who brought to the Cape and indentured here for 14 years. Now, I must mention to you that this indentureship system was not unique. It wasn't created at the Cape. In fact, in Britain, there was such a system for people who were poor, where they would be, especially children, would be indentured for 14 or until they were 21, and their labor would then be given. So this was a form of pseudo-slavery, and for the people who were brought here, they were indentured and called Negroes. They were actually treated worse than enslaved people were, because suddenly now the, the slave trade is abolished, and, and to own an enslaved person was now something you couldn't replace, this, this human being. So suddenly they were treated better, given a better food and had a better life expectancy than before. But for the people who were indentured here, they were treated the absolute worst. So they were treated, if you can imagine slavery being harsh, they were treated even worse than that. And many people didn't survive because of, of the, the poor nutrition, because of the extensive, absolute, excessively long hours they were made to work. And I actually discovered a case on a farm where one of a, a few artisans had gone to a farm to, to do some work and then reported that they saw these men who were prized negroes and how the, the farm owner was, was you know, teaching, beating them and how they were showing that they couldn't speak English but they were pointing to their stomachs saying that they were so hungry. So trying to, to one can just imagine that experience for them. There were also people who conveniently forgot to release the, the, um, the people who were indentured to them. So there was one case where after 25 years it was discovered that a particular slave or a, a particular person who had had someone indentured to him had just kept this man on and, you know, he should have been released from this after 14 years and it was now... 25 years of this man's life that was now caught up like that. 
We also had a, a slave um, trader who, and, and so there was this clandestine, and I think that's where people speak about the, the, the scandal, is that slavery was supposed to have ended, the slave trade was supposed to have ended, but in fact, this was pseudo-slavery, and there was this clandestine practice continuing where certain people, especially unknown slave traders who knew people in, in power, would then have a whole lot of people indentured to themselves. And when people went back to find out, especially there was one who died, and, and then the, the colonial officer sent a message to his wife to say, you know, you've got to present all these people. There were 99 people who were indentured to a husband, and of course the people were missing, and they were resold into slavery. So what was supposed to be a philanthropic um, exercise by Britain was in fact something that was exploitative, and there were all these, these loopholes that allowed people to exploit and, and um, resell and continue the slave trade and, and benefit from um, selling these really traumatized people. Mm -hmm. And we, we have to look at trauma, you know, we have to look at the trauma of being naturally alienated, of arriving into a society that's absolutely new, where you don't speak the language, you don't know how to get back home, you've been separated from your family, and then we have to look at this historically and say, how has this shaped our society here? What, what are the traumas mm -hmm. that certain individuals or, or collectives, uh, communities have experienced throughout this period and how has that impacted as, yeah. as your parent with all this, this yeah. absolute trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think to Two, two very important things come to mind. Number one, uh, it sounds very, very similar to the scenario that, that, that played out in, in, uh, in the United States after Abraham Lincoln's, um, uh, um, uh, proclamation um, against uh, abolishing slavery and, and the South continued resulting in, in, in the American Civil War but I think in addition on the point of trauma um, we look at also during the slave trade itself and, and when slavery was, was freely practiced here in the Cape particularly there was some some level of, of hierarchy with regards to, 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 to slaves and some slaves were treated better than others and, and, and I'd like for you to maybe just quickly comment on that before for, and, and, and the effect that that had moving on to the latter years um, and, and, and obviously the creation of, of the apartheid state. Absolutely. So very much, you know, what happened at the Cape and, and people are always quite rightly or wrongly critical of Cape Town and, and you know, saying that we, we're such a damaged society. We, we have all sorts of comments thrown at us in Cape Town. But people need to understand um, history and they need to understand how history has shaped Cape Town in a particular way. And when you look at, at it, you know, I argued in my thesis for the differential treatment. Mm -hmm. of people and that is what caused the outcome so there was this was a society where whiteness was was something that was the, the bar in terms of the, how you were going to be treated and there was a law that that said if you brushed against a european even of the lowest cost you would be flogged so there was a definite and a fear for whiteness. And then you must know that we had children, we had women who were raped. The word rape 
never appeared in documents, mm-hmm. you know. Gadriba Badruddin so rightly said, you know, out all, I think it was 167 years of slavery, not once was a man, not, not a slaveholder, not an enslaved man, ever charged with, with raping an enslaved woman. So enslaved women were sexually exploited, and of course we had children who were born um, with, with European uh, bloodlines, of course, you know, of European, and so they, they you know, it, the slaveholder might have been kinder to those children. Also, everything depended on the, the, the mood of the slave owner, who he was, and who he liked and who he didn't. So he might say, at his death, he might have put in his role that, that Ashraf can be freed, but that Jolene has to be sold separately to her mother, for instance. So can you see how the, the treatment was differential? Mm-hmm. And so people, enslaved people were very vulnerable, and, and there was very little opportunity for people to... Um, to stand up and rise up. There were only two uprisings throughout this whole period of slavery because people were just trying to survive and and trying to get by. And it's very difficult to judge people when they're in a desperate situation like that. So yes, definitely it has impacted on our society today. It's impacted on who had opportunities to even, you know, have access to education. Certainly... The Asian, uh, there was Asian men who were very skilled, and they were the ones who were allowed to go and um, earn some money on the side or hire out their labor, and the slave owner kept some. So there were certain people who were able to have money, and there were certain people who would just have absolutely nothing. And certainly the Mozambican people were treated the absolute worst. And the one looks even, you know, Robert Charles speaks about the slave lodge where the Mozambican people were kept right at the bottom in the dungeon. So the whole hierarchy of shade mm-hmm. impacted there. But that is not to say that if people were fair-skinned or if they were, you know, Asian, they were, it was a guarantee that they were going to be treated better because that didn't happen either. They were often young, you know, children of slave owners who were resold and, and sold separately from their mothers. But certainly, if one looks at it generally, then I would say, yes, the, the descendants of, of Mozambican people would have had the absolute worst um, opportunity, least opportunities, and were more likely to be been treated badly. Mm-hmm. Jolene, I feel like we could continue this conversation all day. Unfortunately, um, we have run out of time, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can pick up on this conversation in the new year and uh, and then chat to you again as soon as the book has uh, has been published. Uh, but but jo- Jolene Jan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Quite an interesting conversation and uh, quite, uh, I think, an important conversation for us to understand our history uh, here in the Cape and, and, and the history of Simon Steiner is obviously um, part of full forms part of that history in the Cape. So Jolene Young, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Ashraf. And just very quickly, I did write a children's book about forced removals in Simon's Town. It's called Lucy's Dream. So if anyone wants to um, get a copy of that, it's really an educational resource um, to make it possible for young children to understand that history without being traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. So if there is anyone that can possibly... Um, contact you and just pass my details on.
we will certainly we will certainly do so, Darlene. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.